We're so glad you're here this morning, and uh, we believe God's going to do something really great. We're starting a brand new series today, a brand new series, and it is called Unseen Battle, Unseen Battle. And uh, I really just felt uh, a burden to preach through this series, and we've been talking about a lot of different things. And um, as you begin to think about the unseen battle, uh, really kind of under the category of spiritual warfare, I really feel like... Uh, there's a lot of different avenues that we can take on this, right? Uh, there's a lot of misconceptions. There's a lot of ideas out there about it. Uh, if you scroll through social media, you probably see everything under the sun, right? About spiritual warfare and what it looks like. And then I think you also have the other side where life is busy, right? And maybe we just don't even think about it. We're not real sure what it is or what it looks like and what's taking place and all of this is happening. And so uh, we're going to dive into it today. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 is really our main verse that we're going to, main few verses that we're going to stick in. I have a lot of different supporting verses, uh, but Ephesians 6 is really where our base is going to be at. We're going to dive into that here this morning. But let me pray for us and just ask God to speak to our hearts as you're finding that. And then if you're taking notes, we do have some notes in here as well. And this may be a series where I email out my notes because there's so much there. As I'm studying this and just going uh, further and further, I think that this really has the potential uh, to really allow us as Christians to understand who we are in Christ and to live in that freedom that we have in Christ. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, your truth, and your power. Thank you for each and every person that is in this room that can hear the sound of my voice, God. I pray that you would speak to us this morning. God, I pray that maybe we walked into this place and we're carrying so much of our life and the relationships and the issues and everything that is uh, happening to us, God. And I just pray right now in the name of Jesus, God, that we can just lay that at your feet. We can receive your word, receive your truth, God, and help us to lift our weary heads and to walk in victory and that you have called us to live in, God. We love you. I pray that I will decrease so that you may increase. And we ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen, amen. So if you look at the screens here, you see this uh, famous piece of art. And if you've been on social media, maybe you've seen this story floating around as well. And so this is a particular famous piece of art, uh, particularly in Europe. And as you can see, it's a chess match between a man and uh, the, the Satan here, a man, the devil, and then you have an angel there kind of overlooking this. And it's been in Europe and it's in some of the famous art buildings that you can see. And the title of this piece of artwork is called Checkmate. Checkmate. Because if you look at the board, you can see it looks like that Satan's sitting back and he kind of has this devious look on his face. And if you look at the board, it looks like Satan has the man in checkmate. Well, so that's why he entitled it, because he drew the board that way, because he's in checkmate, right? And so, uh, probably 30 or 40 years ago, there was this grandmaster chess player who went to Europe on vacation. And while he was on vacation in Europe, he wanted to visit some of the art galleries. He wanted to check out these pieces of art. And so he began to walk through and he came across this piece of art and it caught his eye. 
So he stopped and began to study this artwork. And then, of course, because he's a grand master, he's a, one of the masters at chess, he began to look at the board. And as he looked at the board, he was, he was enthralled by it. And he kept leaning in, you can tell. And finally, he called the art director over and he said, Hey, can you bring me, do you have a chess board somewhere in this building? I, I think I see something here on, the, on this chess board. So they brought a chess board over and set it in front of this piece of art. And he started playing with the pieces. Because his mind, I'm sure, is going 100 miles an hour. I mean, he's a master chess player. And he's seeing all of these chess pieces. And all of a sudden, you see his demeanor change. Like he's down, he's trying to figure this out. And all of a sudden, he stands back and he has this smirk on his face. And he kind of sits back and he goes, you know what? I think you need to change the title of this piece of artwork. Because he has him in check, but it's not checkmate. In fact, there's one move that this player, this man can make. And if he moves that, then he will be in the lead. And I love that because if we look at this picture, and the reason I felt such a strong burden to talk about spiritual warfare and the unseen battle that we face is I think a lot of us view our relationship with the enemy this way. Almost like and we look around at the world around us and we're going, oh, Maybe the enemy has us in checkmate, or at the very least, the enemy or evil is winning, right? We look out and we may think that way or, or, or even wrestle with that a little bit of going, but there's so much darkness in the world, or I'm battling so much within myself, I just feel like I'm losing. I feel like the enemy has me in checkmate. I feel like the enemy has the world in checkmate. I feel like... I'm just sitting here, but I'm here to tell you today, if you don't get anything else out of my message today, if you get bored and you walk out and go to the restroom and you miss out all of these things, what I want you to know is that God always has another move. God always has another move. And when we talk about the the battles that we face inside of our lives, that it may look like the enemy has us in checkmate, but God always always has another move. And so as we think about spiritual warfare and um, all of the misconceptions that go into place and honestly even like some of the things that can make us a little uneasy and I'm not sure about it and what this looks like and uh, I really wanted to dive in and go, okay, well the Bible talks about this, right? And this is, this is happening around us. So how can we create clarity around it? How can we get some understanding about it and view it not only from a healthy way, but the way that God has called us to live from it as well. And so for you and I, to really understand this is in Ephesians chapter 6 we see the Apostle Paul and Ephesians is such an incredible book all the way from the first chapter all the way through chapter 6 and it gives us this picture of our relationship with God and how we can grow in our relationship with God and you're going to see we use Ephesians a lot here in this message but in Ephesians chapter 6 the Apostle Paul is writing to the Ephesian church and inspired by the Holy Spirit which still speaks to us today and he gives us a picture of what is happening all around us all the time, right? And he gives us some clarity of what's going on. So Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 10 through 13. Everybody still doing okay? It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, 
take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand firm. I mean, he has a couple of things that he says over and over right there, right? He says, stand firm, take up the whole armor of God. But in verse 12, he gives us a picture here. He is saying, hey, when you live your life, it's going to feel like you're wrestling against flesh and blood, right? When you look into the world and you see people who are doing things that are not God's way or even evil and, and darkness, and you see those things, you're going to see it in the physical, right? But he's saying there's another battle that has taken place as well. There is this heavenly places, this spiritual realm, so to speak, that is going on all around us. This battle that we can't physically see. But when we read scripture, we can uh, we understand that it's happening. And not only that, we see this principle begin to take place that the spiritual flows into the physical. That the spiritual flows into the physical. And if we read all the way through Scripture, which when we first say that, we kind of are like, hmm, I wonder if that's true. I wonder if that's right. But if you look all throughout Scripture, we see how the heavenly places are brought down into the physical, right? We see all the way in the Old Testament how there's this uh, battle taking place and Satan comes in the form of a snake and he starts to deceive Adam and Eve, right? And so there is this uh, aspect of Satan lives in the heavenly places, but he comes in the form of a snake and he influences Adam and Eve to sin and to pull away from God. And then sin enters into the world and brokenness happens between Adam and Eve and their relationship with God and their relationship with each other. And now we see how the spiritual has moved into the physical, right? And we even see the miracles that happen and uh, all through the Old Testament where Moses comes up to the sea, right? And there's a physical sea in front of him. But yet when God says, I want you to take that staff and put that staff into the sea, right? All of a sudden the heavenly places comes into the physical and the physical begins to move, right? And then we see that all throughout the Old Testament and then even in the New Testament, we see one of the first miracles that Jesus does is, is he turns water into wine, right? And then we see the feeding of the 5,000 where uh, Jesus takes the bread and he takes the fish and he looks up to heaven, right? He looks up to the heavenly places, his relationship with his heavenly father, and he gives thanks to his father. And then the spiritual uh, becomes into the physical, right? And the physical bread and the physical fish become multiply, right? And we see this begin to happen inside of our lives, but it's easy to kind of just bypass that, right? Of going, okay, that just happened. That's a miracle that happened. But we see in Scripture that there's this uh, heavenly places. There's this unseen battle that has taken place, but God doesn't want us to view it and then to walk in fear. In fact, God allows us. We see the book of Job. We see Ephesians and a, a couple different places in Scripture. It's like God takes this curtain. I'm not going to mess up a rain wall. But he takes this curtain and he kind of moves the curtain back. And he allows us to see inside the invisible. He allows us to see what is happening all around us. This unseen battle. And one of the places he does that is here in Ephesians chapter 6. He also allows us to do that because you and I, we see in this verse, it says that so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, that the devil, the enemy has schemes. And the Bible tells us that the schemes of the enemy, the Bible begins to allow us to see what are his schemes? How does he interact with us? And what is he trying to do? And I grew up playing football uh, I don't know if you grew up playing sports. Georgia won again. I'm so sorry. Here we go. Okay. Uh, but 
as I grew up playing football, and one of the things that we did every single week, especially once you get into like high school football, is that you watch film on the opponent, right? You get ready for what is happening. I actually just found this out. Do you know that the NFL actually gets a full report on who the referees are going to be and how many times they throw a flag on a certain play? So they not only get film on the other team, they get film on the referees that are on there too. And so there's just this full-scale attack because this opponent is going to come in and go against them. Well, you and I, when we read Scripture, it's like we get to watch film on the enemy, right? And we get to look at Scripture because God is going, hey, this is what He is going to do. This is what He is capable of. This is what He's not capable of. Here's what can happen, right? Because if we are left to our own kind of thought process and maybe even some other teaching out there, it's like, well, what can the enemy do? What can Satan do? What can he not do? And all of these different pieces... But we do see that a spiritual battle is taking place. And we're reminded of this. If you remember when we uh, began to study through the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 10, we see this situation begin to play out where Gabriel comes to Daniel. And this is what he says. He says, then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. So Daniel was praying, right? But in the heavenly places, Gabriel goes, we heard your prayers. And so God sent Gabriel here to talk to Daniel and it says, and I have come because of your words, right? Because of your prayers. The prince of the kingdom of Persia would uh, withstood my withstood me, sorry, withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me for I was left there with the kings of Persia. So he's given us this picture, right? Where he opens the curtain back and he's like, you were praying the angels. We heard your prayer. We were sent down to help. But yet I was in this epic battle for 21 days. And then the archangel, Michael is one of the archangels who's over most of all angels and the angels of hosts. He comes right and he takes over for Gabriel and Gabriel is then released to go deliver this message to Daniel that's pretty wild to think about right that that was going on and all Daniel knew was is I'm praying to the Lord I'm, I'm praying to God and all of a sudden now Daniel is praying and we're seeing these uh, begin to take place and as we see this that this those words heavenly places right and the Bible uses those two words all the time, all throughout Scripture, the heavenly places, the heavenly places, the heavenly places. And so who, who is in the heavenly places? We see that already we know that God is in the heavenly places. We just read that Gabriel and the angels are in the heavenly places. And if you look here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, it says that Jesus is in the heavenly places. It says that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, right? And then we see, get this, when you and I give our lives to Christ, we are here on earth, but also we are seated in the heavenly places with God. And this is what it says in Ephesians 2, verse 6, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then we see the angels 
or in the heavenly places. It says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities, right? We see the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And then in verse 13, we see that fallen angels, demons, are in the heavenly places as well. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness of evil in the heavenly places. And here's something I'm just going to quickly talk about here because it, it, it's kind of fascinating to think about the heavenly places and who, are, who is in the heavenly places. And we see that not only are we seated next to God in the heavenly places, but that there's angels, right? We just talked about Gabriel and there's angels in the heavenly places. And so for you and I to understand what are angels, right? And so are they, uh, what kind of beings are they that they just fly around with these big beautiful wings and all of these different pieces? We see that there are even three different types of angels. We see there's the cherubim, there's the seraphim, and then also the Lord of hosts that the Bible refers to. But you and I, the big thing for us to understand is that angels are created beings to, are, that were created to serve God. That they are created beings in order to serve God. And that's a big uh, declaration for you and I. Because when we read the book of Hebrews, we see this picture begin to take place where uh, the Hebrews tells us, hey, these magnificent angels, right? When Gabriel comes and he makes an announcement, it says that the, the bright light is so bright that they're all awestruck and they're in fear and they hit the ground and they don't know what to do because these angels are here in this place. But for you and I to realize that the angels are created beings and they're not the ones who are meant to for us to worship, but we worship God, we worship Jesus and that angels and this should encourage us all right here. This is where we got to lean in because this is where it gets this is where it gets good here in the unseen battle that this is taking place. And this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation? I love that. That angels are sent out as ministering spirits to those who are saved in Christ Jesus. How encouraging is it for you and I to know that there are angels that are around us and they look at your family and they come around and some people will teach that there's one guardian angel for one particular family. I don't know if you can find that in Scripture exactly, but, I, but we do know that there are guardian angels that are flying around helping and ministering to those who have given their life to Christ. How encouraging is, is that for you and I to know that in the heavenly realms there are these beings that God created that are so magnificent that they fly around in heaven worshiping Jesus, but yet they fly around and they go, okay, I'm going to minister to them. I'm going to help them. I'm going to be there for them, right? That God sent them out. And when you and I begin to pray, and we begin to reach into the heavenly realm, it's like we're reaching into the heavenlies and we're bringing it down into the physical, right? When Daniel began to pray, God sent Gabriel to answer his prayer and the angel came down, right? We see in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? How uh, evil ran through Sodom and Gomorrah and they were, God was going to destroy the city, but there were still some of God's people who were living in there. And these two like straight up warrior Navy SEAL angels came in, right? With swords blazing and they got them out of there, right? They came down, they were spiritual, came down in the physical and they said, you need to get out of the city because God's going to destroy the city. And these angels escort them out of the city before the city is destroyed. We see these angels come to help and to minister. We actually even see in the New Testament 
of where the Bible teaches us, well, that person that came up that needed help, maybe you were helping an angel, right? That God sent here. So we see this dynamic begin to happen. But if we understand what angels are, who angels are, then we begin to understand the opposite side, Satan and demons, right? Because what happened is, is that Satan was Lucifer, who was one of the top, if not the top angel in the heavenly realms. And he was over music. And the Bible describes that his body was covered in this diamond-like feature where he glistened and, and he was in charge of the worship. And so when he would sing and lead the worship, it was like God wanted him to be out in front leading the worship of God. But because he was so beautiful, God still gave them the opportunity to choose. And what happens is, is that pride is self-worship, right? And so he got so prideful he was began to go wow look how beautiful i am look how this look at all this worship i could do you know what they're all worshiping god but they're only worshiping god because look at what i can do right and all of a sudden he started to look at himself and then he wanted all of the worship for himself and of course heaven is a perfect place and god's can't allow he's not going to share any of his glory any of his worship and so he kicks Satan out, right? And he, when Satan is kicked out of heaven, he is released from some of those things that God has given him. And so he doesn't look the same, but he is so cunning that he convinced one third of heaven to go with him. Can you imagine the battle that has taken place and what's happening there? That he is so prideful and so cunning that he looked at the angels and convinced a third of them who are looking at God who created them to go, yeah. We need to follow you, right? And they leave heaven. And so we see now that there is Satan and the fallen angels who live against God and who, are, who, don't, who believe that all of the worship should go to Satan and not to God. And so we see this epic battle begin to take place. And here's the thing for you and I to remember, though, because we can look at that. In fact, we can read some pieces of Scripture where there were some angels who were terrified to go against Satan unless God would go and give them power. And it talks about just how much he has. But if you're taking notes, this is what I want you to get here. Is that the devil is not opposite of God. He is a formidable foe, but he's not opposite of God. He may be opposite of the archangel Michael, but he is no match for God. He is still a created being by God himself who has fallen. So he is not opposite of God. He is still under the authority of God. And even though there's going to be moments where we look at the chess match and go, okay, well, he made a move here, right? Like God, the fallen angels begin to fall. And then because of that, uh, God, the enemy thought he won. So God created man in his own image. And he created God and uh, men in his own image so that we would worship him. And then Satan came and did another move, right? And he enticed uh, Adam and Eve to sin against him. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And then uh, God said, then the devil thought he made another move where he was going to win. And then God created uh, Abraham to come and create a new nation in him. And they began to break off. And we saw God begin to do some mighty things. But then uh, God's people started to turn away from him. And they were held in slavery and captivity. And the devil moved another piece and going, ha see, look, I won again. And then God raised up Moses to come out and to free his people out of the wilderness and brought them to the promised land. And we see this happen over and over again where the enemy makes a move and he's like, ha ha, got you now, right? Like got God's people now. Look at them held in captivity. Look at them running scared. They don't know what to happen. And then God makes another move. And then what I'm here to tell you is that we get to the book of Matthew 
And it tells us about this story where God looked down on the earth. And I believe God is all-knowing and all-powerful and all-present, right? And so He knew this was going to happen and He knows the whole chessboard. And the enemy is so prideful that he thinks that one move is going to win. But God said, you know what? I'm just going to send myself down to heaven or down to earth. And when Jesus came onto earth, Satan thought he won because he got Judas and different people to turn against him. And he's like, watch, I'm going to crucify even God. And God is crucified. But then on the cross, He died on the cross, which you and I know now is God's eternal plan for salvation and he lays in the tomb for three days and God puts a final move on the enemy and Jesus comes back to life three days later right victorious showing us giving us this picture right in the physical of what's happening in the spiritual of going you know what I have authority and power over sin and death and the cosmic powers that are at play and the unseen battle that is at play. And you and I, when we look to the resurrected Savior, we look to who's in charge. We look to who has full authority over all of that. And we see this picture of the, the battle that has taken place. But that's one thing for you and I. And we're going to continue to break down all of this because the schemes of the enemy, he only has certain schemes. When I was in middle school, anybody in middle school, high school in the house, um, middle school and high school. Yeah, I see. But there we go. Um, when I was in middle school and high school, we got really big into paintball. Anybody ever play paintball before? Yeah, it's a ton of fun. You get to shoot people, but it's a little paintball thing, and it hurts a little bit, so you're, you're a little scared when you play. So we would go out in the woods, and we would play, and of course we would pretend, and you know, we're running around the woods just shooting each other, and we play all different kinds of games. And when I first started playing, all you have was a little pump paintball gun, right? And then you kind of moved up with the big hopper, and you're like, you know, you do all that. Anyway, so the hopper would happen, but there was a moment I remember when I ran out of bullets and I'm standing behind the tree and my friends are over there and they're returning fire and I'm kind of reaching out and I'm like, oh no. But you know what I do? So instead of just trying to like give up, I start picking up like pine cones and rocks. And I'm like throwing the pine cones and rocks so they think, right? So they think I got more bullets. I'm like, here you go. Right? And, I'm, and they don't know. But as soon as they figure out Daniel's out of bullets, Guess what happens? Their whole demeanor changes, right? They're like, charge! And they come out and they're running at me and all of these different pieces. But you and I, when we battle against the enemy, that's his number one scheme, is deception. He has no bullets. He has no power over you and me who are following Christ, but He has been around a whole lot longer than you and me. And He is a master magician. He is a master of deception, right? And you and I both know when something fearful gets in our minds, it's like we run with it, right? And something could not even be outside our door in the dark, but yet our mind is telling us there's somebody out there. I can even see it. Look in the shadow. I see Him moving, right? And all of a sudden we believe it. Because of the deception. And if we look in the garden, what is the scheme of the devil? What does he come to Eve and say? Did God really say? Did God really say? And he's still using that question today. What a question, right? To look at you and I and look at the world around us and go, did God really say that in his word? Did God really say? Right. And all of a sudden we get all of these factions off of Christianity because of that question. Did God really say? And I think just to make it individual and personal to you and I, 
we, begin, we, we give our lives to Christ and maybe we get baptized and we're all excited and God begins to do a mighty work in us, but then the spiritual attack happens. And, we all, we, and because the spiritual attack, what he wants to do is pull us away from God. He wants us to feel defeated. He can't defeat us, but he wants us to feel defeated. John 10.10 10 says he wants to steal, kill, and destroy, right? He wants us to do that. But here's the thing. This is the secret that he doesn't want you to know. But the Bible wants us to make clear. He has no power over Christians to steal, kill, or destroy. But what he does have the power to do is to deceive us. And the enemy has to work through something. Has to work through a vehicle, right? We see this over and over in Scripture where the, the enemy will come and he'll influence Judas to betray Jesus, right? And then when uh, Jesus cast out the demon out of the guy, they're like, don't leave us alone. We, we can't do anything, right? Like, at least send us into the pigs. And he sends them into the pigs, and then Jesus has them run off the cliff. All these things, right? So we see this begin to happen because they have no power. But what God wants us to understand and for us to see is that he wants to deceive us. And so when he places that thought inside of our minds and our hearts of going, hey, Look, see, you went through that hard time. God's not with you. See, see, you see that happen to your family. Did God really say he loves you? If God really loved you, why would you be going through this? Right. All of a sudden, it's deception. And now he, he doesn't have to do anything but to see. sow the seed of doubt and the battle begins to take place. Right. And then he begins to deter us a little bit. See, see, you don't need the Bible. You, you don't need to trust the Bible. It's old. It's archaic. It's not, it doesn't even work for you today, right? Did God really say, see, you're not a good mom. You see how you, what you just said? See, you're not a good husband. You're not a good right? And it's just this deception. He's, he's the father of lies. And his main goal is to still kill and destroy everything in our lives. Why? Because we're giving the glory to God and he thinks it should go to him and he thinks everything should go to him and he knows he has absolutely no power over you as a Christian to spend eternity in heaven with him but what he can do is make you feel so defeated so out that you won't even speak a word of Jesus to anybody else he can kind of cut off the flow right if I can just hold them back if I can just stop them if you notice maybe when you started to serve in church it was like the attack intensified you're like oh, I'm going to serve in church today and all of a sudden the car's broken the kid's doing this and like all of these things right because enemy's like hold on a second you move into another category you move into another layer you know like we have to stop this now right and sometimes we think if we give our lives to christ it's going to be easier and i don't believe it's going to be easier i believe sometimes it can even be harder but now we have the power and the authority of jesus christ right because he's the, he wants to deceive. He wants to pull us away. This battle that has taken place. And you're like, great, Dan. I'm glad I came to church to hear about all that, right? But part of the burden that I feel, even for myself at times, I'm like, wait a second. What? What? I'm forgetting about the authority that I have in Jesus, right? When I'm walking around and I'm feeling defeated and, and out and I can't do this anymore and all these different things, right? The enemy comes and he wants to attack, but you and I just stand. What does the Bible tell us here in Ephesians 6? He says, finally, 
Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Right. I love that. There's three things I love for us to take away today. And then we're going to continue to unpack this uh, over the next few weeks. And so uh, all of this. And so today we're just scratching the surface. We're kind of giving an overview of the unseen battle that is happening in us or around us. And so verse 10, the first thing that God calls us to do is to live by his power. Right. He says, stand firm. Uh, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. How many times do you and I, when we looked at ourselves and we're being deceived or we're feeling hurt, right? Like we go into overpower, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change this. I'm going to make this happen, right? We're going to do this. We're going to do that. I'm going to change my schedule. This is going to happen here, right? And I go into my own power of trying to change things, which I do believe we have a responsibility and a part to play. But for the main part, what God wants us to understand is that you and I may not even have the power to overcome the spiritual attacks that are happening over us. But what he's saying is lean into my power. I have full authority and I'm giving it to you. That's why God says pray in Jesus name, not in Daniel name, not in Tim name, right? Not in Alan's name, but in Jesus's name, because he's the one that has full power and full authority, right? And all of these different pieces and self-help may happen for a season right and it may help for a moment a momentary relief God's going I want to fully release you so that you can experience everything that I have for you but it takes you and I coming to the end of ourself going I don't have the power to do it Jesus I need you and my I need your power I need your strength I need you to work inside of my life and God begins to help us in this and then in verse 11, he gives us the second thing. He says, put on the full armor, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And I love this because the second thing I'd love for you to write down is put on the armor of God. Put on the armor of God. And I love the verb that is happening here. Put on the armor of God. And by grace, the Bible tells us that we are given everything we need to live a godly life. I don't know, but sometimes I read that verse and I'm like, really? Sometimes I don't feel like it, right? Like, really? But he's saying everything that we need, God has given us that blessing of, of what we need. But what God is saying, I've provided all of the spiritual armor for you, but you have to have the faith to put it on. Right? He's saying, I'm giving you in all of my grace and in salvation, when you give your life to me in grace, I'm giving you the armor. But Steve has to wake up and go, I'm putting on on this armor. Right. There's actually three that we see the first three that he talks about that we wear all the time. And then he, then the last three, it's really talking about, hey, when you need it, pick up the sword. When you need it, pick up the shield of faith. When you need it. Right. Like picking those things up becomes this active uh, sense of happening, but it's like we're the helmet of salvation. It protects my mind of knowing who I am in Jesus. I am saved in Christ. The authority that Jesus has has been given to me, and that begins to change my thought process, right? And then he begins to, to give us all of these different pieces of armor. And we're going to break some of these down a little further, but I think that's the vital thing for you and I to remember because I think sometimes we walk into the battles that we face. And we walk into them trying to defeat them in the physical. And God says, I'm giving you this spiritual. If you want to fight in the heavenly places, in the unseen battle, I'm going to give you the spiritual armor that you need for this spiritual battle. Right. And I'm going to give this to you 
And I think this can be something not only for our own lives individually, but I'm thinking about, I just like to dream big and I like to have faith, but I think God can still move in America. But I think it has to start here where Christians understand the power and the authority that we have in Christ Jesus. And it has to start with our individual lives first. And then it goes into our family. Then it goes into our city. Then it goes into our state. And then it continues to leak out over and over again. But it starts because the spiritual flows into the physical. And I armor up in faith every single day, believing that God can work and that maybe God can do an incredible work, not only through me, but through my city as we live lean in because we don't know the prayers that we're praying there's angels beginning to move right there's angels beginning to, 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 to oh, oh they're praying this let me get you on assignment here they're praying this let me get you on assignment there but it's easy to forget about that right it's easy to go okay if i'm praying about this I mean, just can we just go there for a second this is just fascinating that when you kneel in your bedroom and nobody can see you. Nobody can hear you. And we begin to pray for our city. That if we read the book of Daniel. All of a sudden angels can hear our prayers in the heavenly places. Now the enemy can hear those prayers too. Right now the the devil is not uh, omnipresent. So he doesn't hear and he's not he doesn't know every thought that we have. But he has uh, just thousands of other that are demons that are working for him that can pick up and they've been around a long time. They can look at you and I and a decision we make and go, oh, they struggle with that. OK, that's a place for us, right? That's a place for us to attack. But what God wants you and I to know is that when we lean down in the spiritual authority that we have in Christ and we begin to pray in Jesus name, we begin to pray for the city to change. We begin to pray for our family to change. When we lean into the armor of God, as the angels begin to move and we begin to see God do some incredible that starts in the heavenly places. And then the physical begins to change because we started in the spiritual Right. We started there of going, I believe God can do a mighty work in God. We don't have the strength or the power to change a whole city, but we believe you do. We believe you have a whole heavenly host that can begin to move because we're seeking not by our power, but by your power, God. And then you're going to give us direction. We're going to serve you. We're going to reach out after you. And the last thing that he tells us to do. And I love this. And I'm going to read a little piece of scripture. The last thing he tells us to do. Multiple times in this verse, he says, run away scared. He doesn't say that, right? What does he say? Stand. Some of you were like, wait a second, let me pull that up. I need to check that out. But he tells us over and over again, stand firm. Stand firm. When you read Ephesians 6 over the whole armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword, the helmet, and the, the feet of the gospel, right? We look at all of that. You notice there's nothing on our back. Absolutely nothing on our back because we're not made to retreat. We're not made to run away. He's going, no, stand firm. All of your armor's on the front because you were made. I'm giving you this armor to stand firm in the faith. And I want to encourage you with this before we go in First John chapter 4. We read a piece of this last week. It's just so rich. But it says in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 4, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. You ready for this? For He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 
They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Amen? Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know that the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Right? He is saying, he that is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So we're not made to walk around going, okay, we're talking about the heavenly places. Oh no, here we go. What's going to happen today? What's going to happen today? No. God is going, no, no. He that is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So we walk out of this place into the darkest places with the light in us with the spiritual armor on knowing who we are in Christ in full authority in Jesus name and we get to walk into those places of going no we're taking this back we're taking this back we're taking darkness here we're taking darkness here all of these different places right because God has called us to stand firm James tells us to resist the enemy and he will flee I love that just so sure so confident, resist the enemy and he will flee. But that takes faith on our part, right? Because he is so good at deception. He's throwing those rocks, throwing those, you know, we're thinking he's still got all these loaded bullets and he's like, I got nothing. Here you go, I'm throw these rocks. I mean, you keep them on their, on their toes, keep them scared. And they're not sure, right? And then all of a sudden, but now we know the truth. And what does the Bible tells us? The, you know the truth and the truth will set you free. All of a sudden, the fear can just drop, right? The, the deception can just drop. I can walk in freedom of who Jesus is because of what he has done in me and what he can do through me. And we have this utmost confidence in the Lord of what God can do. And so uh, as I close here today, what I would like to do is just to pray for us. The worship team is going to come back up, lead us through. Uh, but before they sing, we're going to take communion together as a church. And I love communion for a, a few different reasons, but I love communion for today because the Bible says when you and I take communion, we're proclaiming what Jesus has done. We're proclaiming, and here's the thing, as we think about the unseen battle, we're proclaiming what Jesus has done for us to our own spirit, right? To our own soul, but we're also proclaiming it to the heavenly places. We're reminding the enemy, hey, Jesus already has the final move. It was his body that was broken for us. It was his blood that was shed for us. Jesus has the final move. There's this story, I, I promise I'm closing after this, but there's this story of back in the day when they were working on the farm, a dad and his young son, the field caught fire and the, it was rushing towards them. They're out in the middle of the field, so they hop on the horse and they're trying to get away from the field as fast as they can. Well, the dad looks up and he realizes we're not going to make it. We're not going to make it through this field. But out of the corner of his eye, he sees a section of the field that had already been burned a few weeks ago. So he goes, we just, let's go, son. And he jumps in and they jump into the spot that has already been burned, right? And the son, of course, he's not sure what's happening. He's scared. He's going, dad, what's happening? The fire's coming at us. We're going towards the fire. Why are we going towards the fire? And he's like, just trust me, son. We're going to get here where it's already been burned, where the fire comes, of course. And he gets to the burn part and it doesn't burn because it's already been burned. There's nothing there to burn already. And I thought, what a beautiful picture for you and I to know Jesus has already paid the price for you and I. So we keep going back to the cross. The fire 
fire is still going to come. And it may look like it's going to surround us and come at us. But you and I, if we stand in the place at the cross, we know that Jesus died on the cross to set you and I free. And because of what he has already done, the fire will not consume us, right? We get to stand on the faith and the promises of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And when we take communion together, we're proclaiming that to ourselves. We're proclaiming that to the heavenly places. That the cross, it's already been paid for. And we're standing under his umbrella. We're standing under his hope, his truth, his promises in our lives, right? We're not believing the deception and the lies of the enemy, but we're standing on the truth of God. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for everything that you have done for us. God, we know that uh, there's an unseen battle that has taken place all around us. God, even though that may give us some clarity, that does not give us a heart of fear, God. Because we know as we've given our lives to you, Jesus, that we are from you. And that you are walking with us and that he that is in us is greater than he who is in the world, God. I pray that we understand the lie that uh, all the enemy has, all Satan has is deception. That he has no power, God. And we're claiming today that he has no power over us. God, but we're under your rule. We're under your reign. And that you will guide us and direct us, God. We're believing big things for the city. We're believing that you can not only change our own personal lives, our families, God, but you can also change this city in and through us. May we look out into the world that may look like it's in checkmate, God, but we know that you always have another move. And I pray that we believe that in faith in our lives here today. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Thank you for tuning in to the Bridge Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about our church, you can simply visit our website at thebridgebluffton.com. Have a blessed day.